The following audio is from the Sunday morning worship service at First Baptist Church in Clayton. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcclayton.com. All right, well, take your Bibles and go to, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 11 this morning. If, uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a, a hardback black one in the pew uh, somewhere near you, so uh, take that. If, uh, if you don't have a Bible or if you honestly have no idea where yours is, uh, feel free to take that as our gift. Uh, if yours is in your car or under your bed or, um, you know, hidden under a pile of clothes, uh, you can use it. Just put it right back when you're done and, uh, and go, go find your own. Uh. Well, this morning we are, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 11. Uh, one, of the, one of the great promises uh, this morning uh, of Christmas, uh, the, uh, the promise of, of this king that would come. Uh, and Isaiah is really a fascinating book. Um, it's quoted so often in the New Testament that it's been called, it's been nicknamed by some the fifth gospel. And, uh, and others have, have called it a mini Bible. Because the book of Isaiah has 66 chapters. The, our Bible has 66 books. The first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah uh, really talk about um, how God is purifying this remnant of his people who have turned away from him. Uh, and so that uh, kind of corresponds to the 39 books of the Old Testament. And then the last 27 chapters, uh, chapters 40 through 66, Isaiah brings this message of God's comfort to his people in exile and prepares them for the salvation that is coming in Christ Jesus. And that corresponds to the 27 books in the New Testament. So it's, it's really, as I said, just a fascinating book. Um, uh, of course, during this time, there are a lot of promises that we look at. In Isaiah chapter 9, uh, which we looked at last week, for, uh, verse 6 and 7, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. It's a great promise. This morning, we're going to look at chapter 11, another great promise. And so if you will uh, stand as we read the word that God has given to us this morning. Isaiah chapter 11 verses 1 through 10 says this, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge of the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the, ox, er, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the word that you've given us. And I pray that you will speak to us this morning about uh, this king that was born on Christmas morning. 
Uh, Father, may it uh, give us joy. May it um, uh, give us a, a heart and, and an understanding for the true meaning of Christmas this year. Um, we ask all these things in your name. Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you very much. On the back of your bulletin, there is an outline. We don't usually, we don't normally do this, but it just, it, it worked for, uh, for the message this morning uh, to just put a, a very quick outline on there. Just really three quick points that we're going to look at this morning. Um, the first thing that we see in verse one is this. Uh, Christ is an unlikely king, an unlikely king. Verse one says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Now, right before this, uh, in chapter 11, the very end of chapter 10, Isaiah has just talked about judgment on those who turned away from him. In fact, uh, verses 33 and 34 in chapter 10 say this, Behold, the Lord God of hosts will lop the boughs with terrifying power. The great in height will be hewn down, and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe, and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. So, He's just talked about how God is going to chop down this forest, which represents Israel. Because they've rejected him, because they've turned away from him, God is going to cut them down. And then we get to chapter 11 and this great promise. From the stump of Jesse, there will, be, there will come forth a shoot. Um, now, a stump uh, we normally think of as dead, right? At our house in Merkel, we had in our backyard what... Uh, what we thought was a bush, just this ugly bush. And our neighbor on one side there was getting ready to replace the fence, and, and he came along, and he said, hey, uh, he said, we're going to replace this fence. He said, we're saying we're going to cut this bush down, if that's all right with you. And uh, it was a parsonage, but I didn't even ask. I just said, sure. I didn't even ask the church. I said, sure, cut it down. It's a bush. Um, and, and so he, he tried pulling this bush up and cutting this bush down, and it, it, they pulled on it and pulled on it, and it wouldn't come up, so he started digging down. And what was this bush had at one point been a tree. And what they had done is just cut it off, cut it down below the ground level, and then just covered it up and thought it was dead. This bush, this shoot, had come out of this tree. Now, try to pull up a bush that's attached to a stump, and things aren't going to go that well for you. By the time he got it out, this stump was about that tall, about that big around. Okay? And so that's immediately what I thought of when, when it talks about this shoot coming out of the stump of Jesse. Because as we've just seen in chapter 10, God promises judgment. And, and by the time Isaiah is prophesying, um, things are already not going well for Israel. Okay, We know that in, in the history of Israel they, um, and in the history of Judah, they are exiled from their homeland. They come in and the Babylonians finally... Um, wipe the nation of Israel and Judah off the face of the planet and, uh, and carry off those in the, the affluent members of society into Babylon. And, and from that point until 1948, when, uh, when from the time the Babylonians take over until 1948, Israel did not exist as a nation, as an independent state. So what, what we have here is that Jews, the Israelites, thought that God's promises were, were void because of all they saw around them. And yet God was faithful to his promise. In fact, in 2 Samuel 7.16 is, is where God gives this promise to David. Your house 
and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So even though it doesn't seem like it, even though it seems like things are going very bad, God's promises remain, and Isaiah comes in and says, look, judgment is coming, but God is faithful to his promises. He will not abandon his promises. And so even though it looks like this, this tree of Jesse is dead, there's going to come forth a shoot, and out of what you thought was dead, there's going to arise life. Um, in, in Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas are, are preaching at Antioch. And they talk about the fulfillment of this verse. Acts chapter 13, verses 21 through 23 says this. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. Verse 23, of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. So for Paul, um, as he was trying to tell the folks at Antioch, Christ is the fulfillment of this promise. Christ is this shoot from the stump of Jesse. Now here's why we say Jesus is an unlikely king. Um, Isaiah writes these words 700 years before Christ is born. Just think about that for a minute. Israel is, is in the midst of captivity. And they're, they're awaiting this promised one who will deliver them. And, and Isaiah prophesies and said, he's coming. He's coming. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. He's coming. And it's 700 years before he shows up. And not only that, when he comes, he doesn't come as the conquering king that they were expecting. He comes as a baby in a manger. And instead of overthrowing the government like they expected, right? The government shall be upon his shoulders of his, of his reign and of his peace. There will be no end. He's crucified on a cross. Buried. Jesus is an unlikely king. And yet, he's the promised Messiah. He just didn't go about it the way people thought he was going to, which is really not out of character for God at all, right? In fact, if you remember later in the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, he says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Jesus is an unlikely king, but he is king. Don't miss it. He is an unlikely king, but he is king. That's the first thing. Second thing we see is that he is a just king. Verses 2 through 5. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of the knowledge of the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Now we've seen this, we've seen a shift in preaching over the last 200 years or so. Um, if you had gone to most churches a couple, of year, a couple hundred years ago, you would have heard primarily that God is very angry. 
There would have been a lot of Old Testament images of God, this angry God who cannot stand sin, and it's only because of his love for you through Christ that he doesn't destroy the whole lot of us. Okay? That's a couple hundred years ago. Now, in a lot of churches, the pendulum has swung to the complete opposite side of the spectrum so that a lot of churches no longer even talk about sin. And what might happen when you go to a lot of churches is you would hear something that amounts to a spiritual pep rally. You're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you, okay? That, that might be, that, that, that's kind of the message that we get a lot of, and with, a, with a couple of uh, verses thrown in for good measure, okay? So this idea of Christ as judge and, and talking about God's justice is not something you hear a lot. But listen to me, God's justice is in the Bible. You can't ignore it. In order to do so, in order to ignore it, you're going to have to ignore a whole lot of this book. But, but here's the thing. Only when we talk about God's justice does the good news really become good news. Because if there's no bad news, then there's no need for good news. So here's what we see. Uh, verse 2, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Now we're told um, in, in 1 Samuel 16 that the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. It says this, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Okay, so we see in David that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. And so what we have then in David is a shadow of the things that are to come in Christ. Uh, so, so, great, so David is the greatest king of Israel whom the Spirit rested on, uh, serves as a forerunner of the Messiah. But in the Messiah, the Spirit will be upon him in a special way. And we see that in Matthew chapter 3 uh, during the baptism of Jesus. It says this, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So this promise that the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And in Christ what we have, not only is the Spirit of the Lord resting upon him, we have that he is, as, as John would tell us, God in the flesh. And so he has the Spirit of God not only dwelling in him, he is God. He is, he is fully God. So as he's going out, and as it talks about Christ as judge, we have to understand something. He's not a judge as we think of in, in, the, um, in the human sense. All the evidence is not brought before him, and then he kind of weighs the facts and decides what looks like the best answer. We're told here that Christ uh, says, uh, says this, He will not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. See, Christ as judge has full knowledge, perfect knowledge. And so when he judges, it's not based on his biased opinions or his liberal or conservative leanings. He judges based on righteousness and holiness. Christ serves as the perfect judge because he has perfect wisdom and understanding. Um, as I said, it's, uh, Christ as judge is not really a particularly popular topic today, but it's in here. And in the book of Revelation, we see him coming very clearly as this conquering king, as 
judge. Uh, Revelation 1.16, in his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the, shining, the, like the sun shining in full strength. Then later in Revelation 19.15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. So in Revelation, we see him coming with what's called this double-edged sword to strike down. But here's, here's the key when we talk about Christ as judge. For the innocent, there is no fear of justice. And what we see, the great message of the gospel, is that we have been reconciled to God. We're going to be in Colossians 1. Uh, we've been in Colossians for several weeks now, and after the, after the first of the year, in fact, next week we're going to continue on in Colossians. Uh, but in Colossians chapter 1, Paul says this, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So when God, when, when Christ the judge comes, when God judges those who have put their faith and their trust in Christ, it says, will be presented holy and blameless and above reproach before him. See, the New Testament tells us there's a price, uh, that, that there is a price for sin. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But there's a second half, there's a second part to that verse. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. If you've put your faith and trust in him, there's no fear of God as judge, as Christ as judge. Because the Bible tells us that we will be presented holy and blameless and above reproach because of the sacrifice that he made. So that on that day, when, when uh, death finally comes or when Christ returns and we stand before the judgment throne of God and we're brought before him, the image is that Christ is going to speak on our behalf and say, I paid for that. That's mine. There's no accusation against him. I, that's mine. I, I bought that. I paid for it. And so the ultimate picture, we, we've seen so far that, that he's an unlikely king, that he's a just king. The ultimate picture is that he is a redeeming king. We see that in verses 6. Through ten, and I want you, I want us to look here, just at the images that are presented here in uh, in Isaiah chapter eleven. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze; their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Think about that just for a second, okay? Just, just, just think about these images. A bear and a cow shall graze together. And the bear's not going to graze on the cow, okay? You get it? It's kind of funny. It's kind of silly. But, like, as I was reading this, I had in my mind, I don't and if, if any of you have kids, you, you might have seen this movie of Madagascar, where there is um, a giraffe, a hippopotamus, a lion, and a zebra. And they're all best friends. They all get along. Okay. Now, I think about that, and I'm like, yeah, if I'm a lion, I would love to be friends with y'all, because that's like steak every day, right? Like that, that, and, but this idea here is that, is that the world is going to be reconciled to the way it was supposed to be, so that uh, the peace of Christ 
will govern everything. Not only will he redeem, but if, you, if you're taking notes, if you're writing it down, write restoring next to, uh, next to that third point there. So that he will not, he not only does he redeem things, not only does he make us right with God, but he restores so that things are put right. So that creation will be restored back to the way it was meant to be in Genesis 1, when it was created. Uh, verse 8, the nursing, child, the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. That's, uh, an adder is a viper, right? So that means, like, get this picture. If my daughter is playing over a snake den, I'm going to be inclined to stop her, Right? Like, that, that's not some, that doesn't usually end well. Look, mommy, a rattlesnake. Oh, boy. It's, okay, but here's the, here's the thought that, that things will be restored so that there is no fear, so that there will be peace. And then the, um, the extension of this is not just that a bear and a cow will graze in fields of lilies and everything will be all hunky-dory. The idea then is, goes on further that no longer will nation, will stronger nations overpower weaker nations. No longer will one man rule over another man, but we will all be ruled under the peaceful kingdom of Christ. That's the promise, that things will be restored. As we were promised in Revelation, there'll be no more sickness, there'll be no more death, there'll be no more dying. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. This is the promise of this baby who is king. And verse 10 is where we who are non-Jews get thrown into the, into the uh, mix because up until now it's been a Jewish, Jewish message. And then verse 10, In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Here's the promise. That this Jewish Messiah who is long foretold is not just for Jews, he's for everybody. And this is going to be a key text in, uh, in, in Romans chapter uh, 15 for Paul, who understood his calling to be taking the message, uh, the gospel to the Gentiles. This is a key verse for him. And he, he recognizes in himself that God is fulfilling this promise. That no longer is, is salvation just for the Jews, but through Christ it's been extended to all humanity. So during this Christmas season, we celebrate the coming of Christ. We celebrate the coming as a king in the most unlikely way. The baby born in a barn, basically. And yet his first coming should prepare us for his second coming. When he will not come as a baby, but he will come as the conquering king. So our invitation this morning is, uh, is twofold. If you do not know Christ as Savior, there is no greater Christmas gift than the gift of Christ. As I said, the Bible is very clear that sin is real, uh, that sin is rebelling against God. It's not just telling a white lie. It is, it is saying... I know better for, um, 
I trust myself more than I trust God. Sin is rebellion against God. And so this morning, if, if you um, recognize that in yourself, recognize that you're rebelling against God, that you are a sinner, uh, the, message of, the message of Christmas is that Christ came, he was born so that he could die to reconcile us to himself. He is the redeeming king. As uh, Colossians 1 said, you who once were alienated uh, have now been reconciled to Christ. That's, that's the message of the gospel, that, that there is reconciliation. Christ came to pay for the sin. So if you've never done that, that's, that's the first invitation. Come, beg you, come know Christ as Lord and Savior. Maybe you are a believer. Maybe you've been a believer for a long time. In that case, the, the invitation is simply this. Live redeemed. Live like one who's been forgiven. That's, that's what the whole gospel is, the, the whole New Testament is, is about, is, especially Paul's letters is, is saying, you've been forgiven, now live like it. Not check things off your list so you can see how good you are, but because Christ has forgiven me, I'm going to do these things. I'm going to live the way he wants me to because of the great price that he paid. Maybe you just need to come pray. Maybe for whatever reason, uh, there's something going on in your life this Christmas season that uh, you just don't feel right about. Maybe there's some health concerns or, or maybe just some loneliness. And you just want to come and pray. Um, I invite you to do that. We're going we're gonna to sing. Gene's going to come and lead us in a time of invitation. Um, and as she does so, the, the altar's open. I'll be right down here if you'd like to come um, talk more about accepting Christ as Lord and Savior. Or maybe you just, you just as, a, as a believer, need to come and say this Christmas season, I, I admit I've, I've not been living the way God wants me to, and, and, and there's some changes that need to take place. No judgment. I'll, just, I'll pray with you, and, and we'll see what we can do to, to walk you uh, uh, through that. Gene, uh, I'm going I'm to pray, and then let's, uh, let's, let's sing together. Father, we thank you for the Christmas season. We thank you for all that it means, for the way that... Um, that Christ came as a baby that, that confounds our logic and, and confounds everything that people expected. But Father, that, that he served your purpose of redeeming your people, reconciling us to you. And so Father, I pray now um, that, that those of us who are believers would live as redeemed. And for those who have never accepted Christ, I pray you would do a mighty work within them. Show them the forgiveness that's available the greatest Christmas gift of all. Thank you and praise you for who you are and for sending your son. May we never get over it. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from the Sunday morning worship service at First Baptist Church in Clayton. We are located at 223 Oak Street, and we would love to have you join us on Sunday mornings for Sunday school at 945 and worship at 11. You can reach us at 374-9285 or at fbcclayton.com.